Fixing hits and goals and saves and slap shots and goons. We've got sport the commentary to what if your commute. But we also cover movies, TV shows, eats and tunes. It's your weekly bowl of hoggy and nonsense. I'm Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, and I am doing this podcast from a hotel room in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I fell asleep last night to the glow of an Arby's sign. The Lincoln Stars of the USHL. That's, you can go stop into a game. Uh, I'm Ryan Lambert from Elite Prospects. See, I know prospect stuff now, so there's something yeah. to think about. Mm-hmm. Sean McAdoo from The Athletic. I've never been to Nebraska. Have you ever been to Alberta? Because then you've been to Nebraska. Okay. Um, yeah, as, as I mentioned on the show last week, I move, we're, we're, we're moving back to New York. Uh, we are not paying to move the car back to New York. So we are driving the car and all of the things that we didn't want to put on the moving truck to New York. And, you know, stopping along the way to see some family and stuff. So... Uh, did Moab, Utah, which is where you find Arches Natural Park, National Park, uh, labor? Those the, are I cool. Know. Yeah. Oh, you've been there, Sean? I have. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Isn't it cool? It was. I kind of, I kind of like that. And I was a uh, that was like in my teenage years where I was tough to impress, but I, I thought that was uh, pretty mm. neat. Striking matches on the side of the arches to smoke your cigarettes—that kind of rebellion. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Right. You, you've nailed it. Uh, it was really cool, and, and and like colors that you only see in pictures, uh, you get to see exist in actual nature. Lambert, uh, a lot of dinosaur fossil uh, selling happening yeah. in Moab. Is that a place that's a hotbed for uh, finding old bones? Yeah, I mean, anywhere in the American West where or a lot of deserts, as a matter of fact, around the world. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big that's a big thing. Um, yeah, you know, like there there are parts. Uh, I, I want to say I was reading something about the Badlands. I think it was one time, and they were like, "Yeah, you can just be walking around and be like, oh yeah, there's a dinosaur bone sticking out of the ground. <laughs> like it's really not a big deal in some parts of the country." I had another dinosaur thought that I wanted to run past you. All um, right, because I, I saw a couple of these places on our trip. Why is it? Do you think uh, so many miniature golf courses have a dinosaur motif? Well, who doesn't love dinosaurs? You oh, see okay. a dinosaur, you're like, this rocks. I love it. Yeah. But is there anything that lends itself to miniature golf that's dinosaur-related? Or is it just the overall love of dinosaurs? I don't know. Like, uh, what, what's what's uh, miniature golf related about, like, Mickey Mouse? You see him at a lot of uh, not officially licensed uh, Disney affiliates, um, <laughs> you know? Like I you mean, you mean where like Mickey Mouse looks like you know Bart Simpson from the Tracy Ullman show, yeah, kind of, or, yeah, or Homer or, rather or from the it, Tracy Ullman show. It looks show. like Mickey if you squint at him a little bit and you like kind of <laughs> screw your face up. Like, yeah, I guess so. Sure. I think the most common miniature golf motif is probably pirates. That's yeah, a big thing because yeah, pirates, pirates and dinosaurs are the big two. Yeah, yeah, pirates and the Dutch usually because of the windmill. Yeah, and <laughs> that's right, the Dutch. <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> and also circuses because of the clown's mouth. Yes, we know. Sean, do they have miniature golf in Canada? Yes, they do, but um, it's uh, obviously because of the weather, it's not uh, as common. And it's not, we don't do it in the insane way that, that you guys do in like very touristy spots like Florida or 
Myrtle Beach where there's these just gigantic things and you're like, how is how does this place possibly make financial sense that you have like a full active volcano in the middle of this and it's like six dollars <laughs> and I'm the only person here. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but we but do have it. What does the miniature golf course at James Myrtle Beach look like? Oh my God, Jesus wow. Christ! Yeah, <laughs> it's just a lot of puns. It's a lot of puns. Yeah, oh, a lot of boy. <laughs> two killed diving yeah. through the same joke. <laughs> Austin Matthews might uh, Austin Matthews could score a hole exactly. in one on this one. Yeah. I say he does it. He's on pace to shoot a thirty six. I say he does it. The analytics now, how back many, me up. How many holes uh, do you fi- do you have on a miniature golf course in Canada due to the metric system? Is it still eighteen? The yeah, conversion it's, it's, rate it's, it's only it's the standard twenty. And a half. I mean, what else? How else would you do it? <laughs> the standard I, you know what? I went the wrong way with the <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Stupid guy, just not smart at all. It, it's all right. It's it's a confusing system. I, I agree. Their monetary system and, and their metric system. All right, uh, you're in puck soup. Where the fuck else would you be? Um, coaching hot seats. So I was on the Yarmo Kekalainen call this week, where he gave what has been reported as a vote of confidence to John Tortorella, essentially saying. The coaching staff has gotten us out of these pickles before, and, and I'm confident that they can do it again. So that I guess that is a vote of confidence. But when specifically asked by somebody if John Tortorella was going to finish the season as the head coach, uh, Kekalainen said, as I said before, I have 100% confidence that the coaching staff will be able to turn the season around. Uh, so that's a no. He did not guarantee that at all. I thought Portsline said he did say... I, like I, I, I didn't read the story. I just saw the headline, and I said, "Okay, I get it." Um, so, so maybe I'm misremembering or something. But wasn't that the thing where he was like, "He's not going to fire him this season," but blah well, blah blah, because he's like out of contract at the end of the year. So, like, what's the point? They're not going to make the playoffs anyway. Yeah, and now it may be a thing where he, you know, and Portsline did some reporting before that call. On on the call, there was no like he's definitely going to finish the All season. Right, now I'm going like, to look at mandate. It. But you, I mean, Aaron is like the best, you know, beat guy in Columbus in Blue ja- in Blue Jackets history. I would say, yeah, I um, couldn't even tell you another one. So, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, uh, so that's entirely possible. Point being is that it, the 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 seat looked like it was getting a little sizzly for John Tortorella, Sean, uh, but mm-hmm. the the temperature was bought down this week by his general manager. Assuming that you believe a vote of confidence does such a thing, I mean, I think a, a vote of confidence is a very short-term temporary turn down on the temperature. As much as we joke about it, it is very, very rare to see a situation where a guy gets a vote of confidence and he's fired days later. But a month later, that's that's a long time in the sports world, especially when you're dealing with a condensed season. That's uh, it, It's... Um, yeah, I, I, I don't... You know, if I'm John Turner, I'm not hearing that and going... All right, time to uh, refinance the house and extend the mortgage. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's, uh, it's 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 more like yeah, maybe maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll plan for another another few weeks. But other than that, it's not much. Now, now, Ryan, you're a big John Totorella fan. What do you think about their situation? Well, look, I mean, I think it's kind of a lot like it was what what everybody thought it would be last year, right? Like they were. 
coming off losing losing Panarin and Bobrovsky, and their only signing was like Gus Nyquist, where everybody's like, well, I don't think that's going to work out wow. very well. Holy shit. I just had that Obi-Wan Kenobi of, now there's a name I've not heard in quite a long <laughs> yeah, time. Exactly. Like, when is the last time anybody's talked yeah. about Gustav Nyquist? Holy shit. Yeah. And But, like, they were able to kind of keep it together. Like, they played well. Like, you know, all their underlying numbers were actually pretty solid. And they got goaltending that nobody could have reasonably expected them to get, like, including Columbus. Like, those those two guys last season were unbelievable. This season, I, I think they've been not very good. Like, they've been maybe fine at best, you would say. And the underlying numbers suck. They're terrible. Um, they're, I just looked it up. They're 29th in the league at 5-on-5. Five five. So that's the that's the problem is, you know, last year you could have said, you know what, maybe John Tortorella just really has this thing cracked uh, in terms of he's never going to be below like 51.5% expected goals. And then this year it's like, okay, what if, what if we amend that to 45.5? Right. Because that's how bad it is. So now, I got to say I did I did get a bit of a laugh from like Tortorella's comments this week where he was like, I, yeah, I think it's a confidence thing. We're just, you know, it's like we're out there afraid to make a mistake, said the coach who is famous for screaming at guys on the bench and benching them as soon as they make. Yeah, why? Yeah. Oh, who knows? We're all trying to find the guy who did this. Yeah, he, like we had no idea. He said something really interesting, too. He said that he said he said accountability and culture are summertime words. I'd never heard that before. He meant. You talk about accountability and culture a lot in the off season, but really? rare is the team that actually does it in the in the regular season. Oh. And he kind of prides himself on being he, someone he better, that holds people accountable. He better get that memo out to literally everyone else in the NHL who apparently thinks that culture is the first, second, and third most important thing at all times. Yeah, uh, at all twelve at all times. Year. So yeah, yeah winter time too. Summertime words. Uh, I I think one of the, I think part of the equation here for Tortorella being that he's in the last year of his contract is does he want to stay? Like how how annoying yep. is it to be the coach of the Blue Jackets? Like uh, every time you take a step forward, you, t- you take two steps back because they can't keep any of the players that are on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, now now is that a, that's a chicken another chicken to the egg argument as yep. far as like what that's is Tortorella's right. role in that? Um, but I think he's a coach that would be in demand would he, would he, right. if, he, if he were to become available. And I don't think that he would – like, why would you stick around in that situation? If He'll he work again, if, assuming he wants to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it may be not next year, but that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, you might say. Think yeah, of all the 21-year-olds he hasn't screamed at yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, you know, I mean, if he, he's, he, likes to, he likes to yell at young players. I mean, that gets you a job at NBC, right? So he can <laughs> slide in there and – or or a random uh, Canadian college. No, I think the thing <laughs> is, is that you you know if you're him, you leave. You probably double your salary somewhere else. You do maybe like Sean said facetiously, but I think he would he could do a, a year of television, you know, in mm-hmm. between gigs, and then uh, you know wait until Bruce Cassidy gets fired, and then take that Boston job. Like we all know, you, you're eventually going to take at some point in your life. So I don't know. Um, I don't think he's he's Columbus's coach next year in any no. event. No. Other co- other coaching hot seats uh, on which we have to check the temperature. Okay, it says here half the league. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> you know who's an interesting hot seat is Sheldon Keefe because, like, as dominant as the Leafs are, like if if they flame out in the first round again, Sean, is there a chance Dubas gets fired? 
I would say very, very, very small. You, you never okay. say never, but I can't. Uh, I think if this season had been a disaster, then yes. The, but unless it's like they go out there and they blow a 10 nothing lead in Game 7, which I'm not ruling out, but it, it would have to be like one of those every, every one of our worst right. nightmares coming true situations, at which point it's probably everybody. It's... Everybody below, or maybe even including Brendan Shanahan, goes and they just start all over. I, I don't, and, I don't think and, that's going to happen. And again, important to remember, they won't see Boston until the final four, so the chances yeah. of that happening in the first round are very slim. Um, okay, that's the only reason I, 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 I have to do like a coaching hot seat thing this week for ESPN, and I was, I was going back and forth on Keith because like I, his seat should be ice cold. They're so good, but at the yeah. same time, like his fate is tied to that of dubas there is never a cold seat in toronto it's just one of those markets but i think his is at this point is probably about as cold as it reasonably could be Uh, especially as a youngish guy who doesn't like have the 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 same reputation coming into the job that i think that's the only thing that that maybe warms it a couple of degrees but no i it has some Good faith built up from his his work in the minors and yeah. other levels. Yeah, it there, hasn't so. burned a lot of the bridges, which is the other side of being a relatively right. new to the job. So yeah. Now there are obviously ones that I mean, like Cooper Vigneault for for now. Like there's a number of guys, Brindamore. There are a number of guys who I think are in relatively good shape. Uh, but but like Ryan said, there's a number of teams uh, for for whom the coaching hot seat is definitely a topic. Let's start in Buffalo, which is becoming. Uh, an incre- like it's obviously a hot seat because the entire dumpster's on fire right now. Um, when you start hearing things like lack of effort, which is what I think we saw in the third period against the Rangers this week, that starts really getting closer to uh, will the coach pay for the sins of the players? I was on Buffalo radio like only a week ago, and when we were we were talking about Eichel and Hall and everything, and I I brought up the topic of like when do we start talking about Ralph Kruger? And it was like, it, it's a topic that had never been broached on the show before. <laughs> like, right. it felt like that. Because he's such a popular guy, and he's such a respected guy, and he's built up so much goodwill, not only from getting jobbed in Edmonton, but also doing what he did in the World Cup, but also being one of these amazing outside-the-box hires that we all kind of root for. Well, so... But but team's not good. and and, team I, and it's not good because... It, it, it might be... They're not good because the coach isn't made for these times in this league. Or, or at least well, the coach isn't making them better. Like, yeah, well, the other thing to say is now it's starting to look like maybe he didn't get a raw deal in Edmonton and he just might not be that good of a fucking hockey coach. I mean, it's possible, right? Like, mm-hmm. at some point you do have to – again, I know, oh, the, the World Cup. Nobody thought that Team Europe would be any good. Uh, I, I get all that shit. But, like, that was four games four years ago. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and to speak to your to speak to your point, like the, that team excelled because, I mean, they kind of played anti hockey and relied on Halak, right? Yeah, one um, of the best goalies what, of the era. Yeah, that's why they were. That's what. That's why they yeah. were able to excel. I mean, it's not, it's not as if this guy has a reputation of coaching a bunch of offensive juggernauts. So we, when we look down the, the Sabers roster and see the offensive numbers these guys these guys are putting up, like that could very well be the system. Well, that having been said, um, you know. We we again have to acknowledge the Sabres roster is fucking terrible, right? Like they yeah. they made almost no the only changes they they made from last year that were like notable in any way is signing Eric Stahl, who you would have thought maybe he shores up the center depth coming off a good year in Minnesota, 
and and obviously Taylor Hall, who uh, you know, who knows how how things uh, worked out last year. Uh, Vis-a-vis, you know, his, his overall quality. Like, what effect did playing for two awful teams last season have on him? And and now yeah. playing for a third yeah. awful Apparently team helped. in a row. <laughs> uh, right. uh, it, Taylor Hall is, I know it's not the, the topic, but man, he, he has, I think, done a number on his own reputation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I, when he signed at the Sabers, I know a lot of people kind of went, "Oh, is this? Does this guy like not want to win? Is that? Is he yeah. really just about the biggest paycheck?" And you know, and but other people said, "No, no, opportunity, and he's going to play with Eichel and all of this, and you, you wait and see." And then maybe he, if even if they're not good, he can go to a contender at the deadline. I, I don't even know what they do with him now, let alone what. I mean, who's lining up well, to they, give this guy seven years? They eat half his salary and pray that somebody wants to give a low first round pick for him. Is what they they have to do. Better pray hard. Yeah, yeah, and also he's got a no move, and and everything we keep hearing is that he loves Buffalo. And I'm thinking, is he going to love honestly, it if, if, if Michael's if, not there? If yeah, if if I'm Buffalo and somebody offers me a first round pick for Taylor Hall and he says no, I leak that out with extreme prejudice that Taylor Hall turned down a chance to go to a contender. And uh, like, Ooh, uh, it's, I like it because uh, I need that pick at this point, and I'm not interested in signing mm. this guy for uh, you know a big long contract. So. Well, spoken like a hold on, yeah. spoken like a man who's seen Matt Sundin play a game or two. If that sounds perhaps. like, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. The thing I was gonna say real quick is like you know at, at some point, like you you just have to say. Yeah, okay, now Taylor Hall's just going to do all this shit again this summer because whoever trades for him, like, unless he goes all the way off for, like, Boston or somebody who, you know, they had interest in him uh, over the summer. But, like, we're, we're just going to be – it feels like we're going to be in the Taylor Hall. Where's he going to go? What's what's What opportunities are going to present itself? Like, it's, right. it's you know, completely divorced from the, from at, the hot seat question. At which point, like, if, if he gets traded at the deadline to a contender and then signs somewhere, that'll be five teams in a little over two years. Like, I mean, at some point – I like Taylor Hall. I've been, I've been a fan, but, you know, at some point – oof. It's, at some point, you have to admit he's the Alex Galchenyuk of star players, Sean. At some point, at some point, you know, like I say, I, people have pointed out, like he's getting outscored in terms of goals by Adam Larson right now. So maybe <laughs> it's time to re- maybe the two hundred hockey men were onto something. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Nashville. So they've they've turned the corner a little bit recently. They're still. Well behind the pack in in the, in the central, and the numbers don't really add up. I mean, in raw points, they're eight behind Chicago right now, and only only have a game in hand on on the Blackhawks. Um, John Hines just got hired though last year. Yeah, he's and this is one of those 50 deals. games. Yep, this is one I, of those I deals. hated that hire at the time, but me too. Uh, and I tried it. to tell. I, I I looked up the numbers recently. I think at one point this season, the Predators were like twenty ninth. In goals per game, and if you take the sum total of his time in New Jersey, they were twenty nine goals per they game. Were yeah. goals per game. Uh, so again, yeah, but again, well, like this so, is one, this is one of those that where I feel like he's tied to the GM though versus anything else. Yeah, for for sure. And the other thing to say is they've turned the corner. They're three and two in their in their or uh, four and two in their last six games oh, uh, against Columbus, Detroit, Detroit, Columbus, oh. Columbus, Carolina. 
And then lost to Detroit, right, recently? Am I, am I, they, yeah, they did lose to Detroit. But, yeah. like, I, you know, I wrote about it earlier this week um, with Chicago where everybody was like, oh, my God, Chicago's record. It's incredible. It's like, yeah, they played Columbus and Detroit 17 times each. Like, it, do, I don't, I, it doesn't matter until you play Carolina, Tampa, and Florida, which uh, Nashville, when they do that, uh, gets – run out of the fucking building most of the time. <laughs> and when and when they don't do that, you know, they, they have uh, two overtime uh, or shootout wins against Chicago. Um, yeah, the only teams they've beaten this year are Columbus, Chicago, and Detroit. Mm. And, oh, no, I'm sorry. They, they have an overtime win against Florida. So, yeah, they're much like Chicago themselves, they can beat up on bad teams. But... Like, you know, I think the top three or maybe even four, if you want to include Dallas, who uh, have a who have combined outscored uh, Nashville, it says here, uh, 10 to two uh, in two games so far this year. Um, if you want to say those like those are the clear top four, Carolina, Florida, uh, Tampa and uh, Dallas. Like, I think there's a pretty clear difference between those four and say Chicago and Nashville where maybe they're not as bad as we all thought they were going to be, but they're still not good. And then Columbus and, and Detroit who are probably uh, exactly as bad as they're supposed to be. So, right. Um, Calgary, Jeff Ward, uh, Milan Lucic, terrible. Milan Lucic recently came out and gave a full throated uh, endorsement of Ward saying it's on the players to turn this thing around. But, uh, you know, now as I'm going to look up out, how many minutes a night Milan Lucic is playing. And yeah. right back to you. The, the Flames have a minus 11 goal differential despite signing the best goalie of the free agent market um, and are a middling under 500 team in points percentage in the Canadian division. Uh, we talked about how the pressure cooker in that division was going to be so intense that many people would lose their jobs potentially. One already has in Claude Julien. Sean, Jeff Ward, long for this world? I, I mean, I, I think they'd be very hesitant, similar to the, the John Hines situation, to fire a guy midway through what would have been his first full season behind the bench. He came in in really tough circumstances last year with the Bill Peters thing. He did a good job. Uh, it, it has not been as good this year. The, the, the one thing that worries me if I'm Jeff Ward or I'm a fan who wants to see him stick around is the... Like this, these choices are never made in a vacuum, especially up here in Canada, where there's so much scrutiny. Uh, and the fact that you're chasing Montreal for a playoff spot, and Montreal just made that broke the seal and made the first change of the year. If they start getting a little bit of momentum going, and you're seeing them pull away, there's going to be a lot of people saying, "Well, how come we can't do the same thing? Turn them around? Why don't we do it?" Uh, and he's kind of right in that danger zone where. Uh, he's his team is bad enough that his seat is warming up, and yet not so bad that they're already out of the running. And you go, well, we got we we just ride it out and finish the year, and then figure it out in the off season. Um, I don't know. I, I I still think he's more likely not to stick around, but it's uh, the the pressure is going to crank up in that division even more so as we go. Yeah, I, I think the I think the real issue for the Flames, honestly, is that like Markstrom hasn't been great in part because uh, they have to overplay him because they don't trust Dave Riddick. Um, and like you know, there was I can't remember now, but there was a stretch where he played like 
nine games in a row or something like that, maybe. Um, and it was the game where he was just, like, throwing himself at the puck against Vancouver, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, they, they kind of throttled it back since then. But they just they just don't trust the goaltending. And, like, the, the real problem for them is they signed Marshall with the understanding, like, okay, yeah, the last couple of years of this deal might not be very good. But think about how much value we're going to get out of him in the first couple of years. And it's like, mm, well, that ship did not come in for you uh i you know i don't know how you uh how you like ignore that as an organization and i i do think to, to the earlier point about john hines this is very much tied to how long does brad for living have to g- just keep turning churning out these like mediocre teams with like three bad contracts on them you know it it keeps happening <laughs> Yeah, it does. Uh, Vancouver, Travis Green, what do we think? Who's doing a better job with that? Like, I don't think he's done a great job or anything, but who's doing better, you know? Mm-hmm. It's also a last year of his contract kind of deal, too, That's, where you figure, like, yeah. he, yeah. Sees it, he sees it through the end of the season well, at the very least. Or, or it says that, it, I mean, the other half of that logic is, if you're a GM, once you've made up your mind that you're not bringing a guy back at the end of the year... Do you keep him for the rest of the year or do you bring in someone else or, or maybe take a look at an assistant or somebody you want to bring in on an interim basis and get some evaluation that way? Uh, and the other thing, and, and it's a little bit similar to Calgary, like in a weird way, Travis Green, the fact that his team is worse might put him in a little bit safer situation because if if they don't do something soon, the, the ship is, I mean, it's already sailed, but the ship will have sailed so far that they yeah, can't even cross the horizon. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. But the the thing with him is, oh, man, I I don't know. It's it's he's a good coach, but similar to Calgary, what is the GM doing? What is the GM thinking? Is the GM thinking about the team, or is the GM thinking about his own job status? And if I'm Jim Benning, am I sitting there going, okay, I know my seat's very hot. I make a move now that can, if it works out, that might buy me some time. If I wait until if I say we're going to wait until the off season, then you know I'm I'm going to fire him on the Monday, first Monday of the off season. I might be the one going to. It might be a, a two for if, one. So I've got to you, do something to protect myself here, and this is the biggest thing that I can do. If you're Seattle, do you hire Travis Green if he gets fired? I mean, Bruce Boudreaux and 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 Claude Julian and Gerard Gallant are all available. Yeah. I I don't. I'm not like you know who I'm going to call up is the guy who uh, has the Canucks uh, near the bottom of the league again. I do oh, think well, Green is gets another shot somewhere. Oh yeah, for oh, sure. sure. But like if I'm yeah. if I'm Seattle, that's not my well, first yeah, I mean, choice. You also and you also have NBC analyst Mike Babcock too. So, uh, speaking of uh, of. Uh, well, I don't know why I was going to transition. I was thinking about NBC, then I automatically think of New York because of, like, 30 Rock. The Rangers. Uh, Quinn, what do we think? Very, very hot seat. That This yeah. this is kind of the one where you're already seeing some of the media, like, openly write pieces about how the, the, they, they should make a change. I mean, Larry Brooks has kind of banged the drum a couple of times, and you can say whatever you want about Larry Brooks, but he... He and the post have some some sway in that market, and yeah, I don't think you know 
Quinn, he doesn't have the track record of success. He is a situation where that team was expected to be better. They are uh, not good enough and yet not completely out of a playoff mix. Uh, Again, perception-wise, maybe more so than reality. Uh, I think that's a potentially dangerous one. And it's going to be a very attractive job, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the one thing to say is you, generally speaking, don't want your coach to be uh, giving quotes in the media like, I don't know what's wrong with the team. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, he, and he literally has done that on more than one occasion in the last couple of years. Like, look, if I had an answer for you, I'd just put it into play. Yeah, okay. But, like, your job is to be the guy who has that answer. So... Yeah, that, that, that's that's a real tough that's a real tough sell for me if I'm if I'm Jeff Gordon. I might be more interested in who the Rangers hire than I am in who Seattle hires. To be honest with you, like that job is such a plum gig. Um, and the the other thing to say, sorry, uh, to cut no, you go off, ahead. But like the other thing to say about it is like, you know, they brought him in to be like the uh, d- the development guy. We have so many young kids. He, he's turned so many guys into pros at BU. Like, let, let's get. All their kids stink, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, like um, uh, Capo Caco. Capo Caco, I guess, is the prime example. But like Lafreniere's only got like five points this year, and he and he hasn't looked great. Um, he's, a, he, he's a kid. Maybe he's gonna be fine. I understand, but like, it's the second would tra- year would you in a row. Lafreniere, like, one would you of you trade Lafreniere top- one for one for Eichel. Well, I, that's a different. It's a different <laughs> podcast episode, I think. But, like, how many kids have they been like, well, I guess we got to get rid of, uh, like, Leas Anderson because it's just not working and maybe it's just not going to work out. But, like, how many un- players under 23 or 24 are, like, not rising to the level that people expected them to mm-hmm. in this organization? And at what point do you uh, go, oh, maybe that guy we brought in to, like, develop uh, those players, maybe that's not working out so well. Yeah. I said this before on the pod, and I, I'll say it again. Like he is very much the guy you fire before you take the leap. Like that's yeah. that's his role, yep. and and I think that time is clearly arriving in short order. Dallas Eakins and Anaheim. What's there to really say? I mean, they're yeah. not good, and and he's now getting a second kick at the can at this, and it's not working out. Uh, so what do you even do there? And, and is it even worth firing him in season if you're Anaheim? Yeah, that's one where uh, that ship we were talking about has fully sailed so um i mean we saw bob murray fire a coach and put himself behind the bench once before i did does he want to do something like that again i don't know he's he's kind of gone off the board before but yeah and unfortunately for akins it's this is two seasons and two jobs and it, it the success level just hasn't been there and you know, especially when you look around, you see what's happening in LA. The the team that, in theory, should be at a similar point in the rebuild, maybe a little bit ahead, but it doesn't help. Yeah. Uh, finally, let me throw this one out there: St. Louis. Um, now, you would assume Craig Ruby is okay there. Uh, you know, still has the shine of, of the Stanley Cup championship. Uh, a team that obviously has been impacted by the loss of Vladimir Tarasenko. They're going to get him back soon. Uh, but they are fourth in points percentage right now. They're okay, 12-8-2. That's fine. Plus one in goal differential. Any any heat there or or no? I, I, I don't... 
I can't imagine, right? Like, it just, again, like you said, they, it's not so long ago that they won the cup. Like, a, what's interesting is that, like, a lot of the, uh, that, le- the level of play that won them the cup, like, everybody's going, like, oh, they're, you know, their underlying numbers are so good. Like, they're better than the, than the record indicates, and that's why they went to the cup final and then eventually won the cup, right? It was, like, they just played really good hockey, and they continued to do it last year. I don't think they're doing that this year. Do you? Like, I mean, uh, let me pull up the yeah. frickin' evolving hockey page. Yeah, they're they're uh, 19th in the league in expected goals uh, percentage uh, in all situations. Like, the, the Sharks are better than them. Chicago's better than them. The Capitals are better than them. Like... Teams that uh, are never good uh, by XG are all better than the Blues, who are supposed to be really good at it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do I do wonder, like, you know, they're probably going to make the playoffs, right? Like, that division's, yeah. that division's a little weird just because, really like... Really set up. Yeah, and, and, but, like, that division's a little weird just because, you know, there there's such a clear one-two and then, you know take your pick for teams three through five. But, like, it wouldn't surprise me if, if St. Louis finishes third. It wouldn't surprise me if St. Louis finishes fifth. The, the yeah. only thing I could say with that is it's it, it would be like a galaxy brain version of the Penguins a few years ago where it was like you had Mike Johnson who was – his record was pretty good. And yet it was kind of like, well, you know, we, we did the midseason thing once a few years ago and it turned into a Stanley Cup. Maybe we'd do it again. But that was like <laughs> six years and a a whole different coach in between. Right. Like to do this, I, I don't, I don't think anyone should get to coast on past accomplishments. But to fire a guy who won a cup two years ago and has had one full season, uh, that to me would just be uh, uh, unless you. You better really know something has gone very wrong that the rest of us aren't seeing. Well, let's put it this way. Through March, or through the end of March, this is what their schedule looks like. It's a handful of games against the Kings. It looks like four games, a bunch of games against the Ducks, a bunch of games against the Sharks, and a few against Vegas. And if they're still not playing that well, even after putting up a bunch of uh, putting up a bunch of what should be W's against yeah. those teams, like then it's a whole different question. But right now, you know, they're they're four games above 500 in terms of points percentage, two in reality. And the teams they're losing to, yeah, like there was that weird stretch against Arizona. But otherwise, like they're not losing very often. So, you know, I don't know. Like, I guess the only thing to say is that they've played the Kings, what is it? It looks like four times and lost three of them. So... I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. They're what what really it boils down to is they're not getting the goaltending they used to. That's it. And and like Bennington's been average, maybe a little bit better than that. But like the Billy Huso apparently isn't Jake Allen is is what we (laughs) is what we have to arrive at. So it's. uh, I think there's just such a clear top four in that division that it's. You know, pretty ballsy to say it's going to be a close shave to get into the playoffs for the Blues. Speaking of close shaves around the balls, oh uh, today's episode of yeah, Puck Soup yeah. is sponsored by no, good work, Manscaped. Man. Thank good you. Work. I Hold thought on. it was great work, personally. Yeah, Thank you. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. You know what I'm talking about, fellas. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, Ryan, 
for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. It's, they're trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, uh, and they have an exclusive offer for you, the Puck Soup listener. 20% off and free shipping with the promo code PUCK20, P-U-C-K-20, at manscaped.com. Now, Manscaped sent me a bunch of tools in their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. I opened up this thing. I'm thinking it's going to be a bunch of lotions and crap, right? No. It's the clippers. It's the clippers that come with an LED light for a more precise shave so you can see what's going on there. It's waterproof. It makes your shower shave clean and easy. And you don't want to use the same trimmer for your upstairs and your downstairs, Ryan. You know what I'm saying? That's just a nasty thing. So Manscaped gives you the tools that you need to take care of the job. Get 20% off of free shipping with the promo code PUCK20, P-U-C-K-20, at manscaped.com. They also obviously have a collection of other products for you, including deodorant for other areas. And uh, check them out. Check all the products out at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping with PUCK20 as your code. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you, trademark. The trademark, your balls will thank you. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> there's a TM after you. On your balls will thank you. I got now, there's not, a T, there's not a TM after the exclamation point on your balls will thank you. So I, I, if they couldn't there is get another, that one locked down. Yeah. If you're, if you're, good news for Callaway. Uh, there's still a chance that you could use yeah. that slogan for your golf. Yeah, balls. I think that that was that one was trademarked by the Edmonton Oilers when it came to the draft lottery. So it was <laughs> already taken. It's Connor McDavid's least favorite slogan. <laughs> uh, the Athletic—that's a place where you work, Sean. Mm-hmm. They uh, put up their first 2021 NHL trade board. Uh, which I, I'm, I'm assuming at some fi- uh, at some point is going to lead to a knife fight between Craig Custance and Frank Saravelli, uh, who I thought had the uh, you know the corner uh, yeah. uh, the market cornered on should trade have trademarked board. it Frank apparently <laughs> <laughs> your, your trade board will thank you exclamation yeah. point Matthias Ekholm is number one on the NHL trade board on the Athletic uh, one more year at three point seven five million obviously. If the Predators are looking to start a, uh, a little re- reconfiguration of their roster, it would start with a guy like Ekholm, uh, and he's number one on the board. I, I, I mean, you're either going to have to trade him or pay him, and he's 30, so I assume they're going to trade him. That's a really, really good player that's going to go to some contender. Yep, that, that is a good one, and he's this is that kind of shift that we thought maybe we were seeing last year at the deadline where instead of always looking for the the rental the guy who's just got a few months left on the contract is it better to do like the lightning did and go and seek out guys who are on good value deals with a little bit of term left and uh, this is this is a, a bit more than than what the lightning did but yeah you get to the deadline there's going to be teams good teams that have space for a guy like this and you in theory can get a, a pretty decent premium because you're getting them for a year and a bit, two playoff runs. Um, I, I mean, I, I think he makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of predators names on this list and we're all kind of waiting oh, yeah. to see whether David Poyle throws in the towel. I mean, Philip Forsberg is number four 
on Craig's list, boy, that would be that'd be a big one. But that's another guy with one year left. Uh, you know, at some point, you got to look at this roster and go, what do we? What does this look like in three or four years? And if we don't see yep. on that in three is, or four years, then he is a part of the solution guy for me. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Trade he could Forsberg. be. I keep, How old I keep is he around. though? I, we, he's twenty six. So three, four 26, years from now, so. he's twenty nine, thirty. So. Oh god! Here we go again with you. It's just like it's like Logan's run every time with, but you, no, with these uh, guys when they hit thirty. Uh, what I'm saying is, wh- what you know? I, I think he has an expiring contract before then, right? So what are you going to pay he's, him? Yeah, one he's, more, one more year left. Yeah. So what do you million. have to pay him to keep him? Versus what can you get when you trade him? Mm-hmm. Like it's not an unreasonable thing to consider. That oh is no, I'm not saying that. I, I would consider trading Ryan Ellis before I consider trading him, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, Ryan Ellis is 30, right? Yeah. So, sure. And should go to that island that you and, put all and, the 30-year-old NHL players on. Yeah. <laughs> to make them disappear. <laughs> yeah, good, good news for Lou Lamarillo. <laughs> but Chris yeah, Drieger. Especially because Ryan Ellis is signed through, like, 2028? Yeah, yeah. Eight? He's going to like, he's signed forever, so. A long time. Yeah. Chris Drieger is number so number two is Eichel, by the way, who I don't think gets traded in season. No, uh, number three is Drieger, uh, the Panthers goalie, who's been an absolute sensation for them this season. Obviously on this list because they have to protect Bob because he's got the no move. I think right? Does he have a mm-hmm. no move? Uh, I, I assume he does. He has. His. To. I'm going to double check that. But I friendly. Think, I, I think got you. Does. Hold on. He does have a no move. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they have to protect uh, Bob, uh, and so they would have to then. Um, Exposed, exposed Dreeser, yeah. Dre- well, and, and, and he's a UFA also. He's so a UFA, he's right. So would they have to expose him? Or they are, no, that's are true. They wouldn't, him? but he is a UFA. Well, it's right. they, they, they sign yeah, him. He, blah, blah, they blah. can lose him, put it that way. Because remember, right. if a guy's a UFA, uh, that means that the expansion team gets to talk to them early. And then if they sign him, that counts as the pick from your team. Mm-hmm. But it's it, basically whether the fact that he's a UFA doesn't change the fact that if they don't re-sign him and protect him, then right. he is. They're vulnerable to but, losing him. You can't just say, "Hey, man, we'll sign you on July 1st, but uh, you know, for now, let's just slip you by." The Seattle gets advanced chance to talk to him, and if there was an under the table thing, and you got busted for it, I'm not saying the Panthers would ever mess up an expansion draft. I'm just saying <laughs> scenario. But the real happen. the real issue is that the Panthers have a uh, department of goaltending excellence, and they also have a kid named Spencer Knight in the system. So the idea mm-hmm. that they're going to commit to Drieger, yep for any kind of long-term deal is not going to happen. So, But at the same time, like, the Panthers are good now, and they haven't the been good in so long, and I don't know if you trust Bobrovsky right now. Do you honestly trade, and, and you're not going to bring up Spencer Knight and necessarily expect him to just run with it. Be the guy, yeah. Do you move the guy who's keeping your season afloat right now? If that's It's a really tough call. Like you, I almost feel like Zito would have to be blown away by an offer to make that deal just because they are relevant for the first time in forever. Be, and it's because he's been getting more starts than Bob. Yeah, and so, and, that, and the other the other thing with this is it's the same as any midseason, especially trade deadline goalie trade. You're sitting there going, who is going to be good enough that they're looking to add at the deadline and yet needs a goalie? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, most of the teams that need goalies are bad and they're sellers, and most of the teams that have goalies are good and they're buyers. He's cheap enough that some team could bring him in as depth. It's it's not like you're bringing in a guy who's going to be your certified starter but it's it's tricky it's tough to squeeze value out of that versus the off season where 
you know, teams have obvious holes that they, they're looking to, to fill. It's kind of bonkers that anybody would have a seat open in their goalie tandem at this point in the season. Like, you should have kind of sealed up that hole in the offseason. Uh, but maybe if somebody gets injured, that's a possibility too. Ricard Raquel uh, of the Ducks, one more year at 3.789. He's number five on this list in back of Forsberg. I mean, he's sort of a conundrum at this point in his career. Like, at one point, it seemed like he was going to be a consistent 30-goal guy, but hasn't necessarily played out that way. Now, that could just be the the, the way of the world for the Ducks. Um you know, but uh, do you like do you like do you like Raquel? Would you want him on your team? Perfectly good player. No, nothing wrong yeah. with him. But I, I, I mean, I guess the thing that's wrong with him is the contract, right? Is, is, am I wrong that he is getting a lot of money? Or am I? No, no, no. Like I just said, it's it's. I think it's like a, um, a, one more year at three point seven eight nine. So it's yeah, not so a ton that's of not money. crazy. But like the right. the question is, and we're and we're seeing this with like um, with Vancouver trying to make deals and stuff like that is are teams willing to take on the money without having any money because the ducks don't want to take money back is apparently um the issue which is understandable but um i don't know i i I, that's that's i guess the big concern is is just going like okay is is this a is this a situation where I just have to just take all that money? Because like I, like I say, I think he's pretty good, but he's not he's not what people maybe thought he would be. And also, right. um, you know, if if I'm if I have to give up a, like picks or prospects or whatever, and just flat out take the money, I can't I can't see that working for a lot of teams. Right. Uh, Clayton Keller is sixth on this list, and, and the, the logic here is that the Coyotes would trade a 22-year-old with six more years on his contract because they hired a general manager to make the team good through the draft and don't have any draft picks. And in theory, Clayton Keller can get you some draft picks. Right. Mm-hmm. In theory. But that doesn't this sort of strike you as one of those, you know, not not part of the problem but part of the solution kind of deals again? Or is is are, where are you on Keller as as a as a potential star player i mean the stock has definitely fallen i'm not sure who is out there right now saying you know what i want to do in the middle of the season is add a guy who makes seven million and has had one season over 50 points in his career that's that was an off season yeah Yeah, exactly yeah i mean that's that's an off season deal i think it's maybe you try to plant some seeds right now but i mean just that level of contract is starting to cut the number of teams that can even think about it during the seasons. And I'm not sure with a deal like that, why you wouldn't want to, uh, unless you felt like the strike while the iron's hot and the market is there for him right now, he's putting up better numbers this year than he did last year. Uh, I, I, to me, that's an off season deal. Doesn't this uh, Ryan strike you as being a move that like Detroit would make? Get a Clayton Ke- I'm, again. Like, is Arizona taking money back? Because I, why would Detroit just go? You know what? Fuck it. Let's 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 just you know trade you with the absolute garbage at the bottom of our roster, and you don't have to take a single cent back. Because you know, I can't imagine Arizona's like, you know what? We'll, we'll take Mark Stahl off your hand. <laughs> you know, give us. <laughs> I just mean, I just mean Detroit in the sense of like they they obviously need to upgrade their talent up front, right? Sure, no no doubt about that. And and Keller's young; 
They've got him locked in. They clearly have some picks to deal if they wanted to. But you're right. As far as like a money in, money out thing, I mean, there's not a whole lot on that roster right now that they need to clear out uh, Detroit. Yeah. Um, I, I, like, unless unless I'm just, you're, you're like a, one more year of Franz Nielsen they could take. Right. I'm, I'm just like – I think that's like a league-wide problem too. Like I don't I'm, – I'm not going to just keep saying it about like relatively small market warm weather teams or whatever. Like – Vancouver needs to needs to cut salary. Like, where did I just read this? Like, most teams – it might have been in the customs thing. But it was like most teams have a directive to cut salary, not take it on. So, like, the idea that all these things are going to happen and, and all these guys like, – even a quarter of these guys are definitely going to get traded or anything like that is in, – in midseason, I, I'm really skeptical that that's, that's going to happen. I think very little is going to happen in terms of, like, notable players – actually moving this year yeah uh, a couple more uh, Kyle Palmieri is going to pop up on a lot of these lists I have a familiarity obviously with this team I can't imagine a team that can't finish is going to trade their best p- finisher I just can't wrap my brain around the idea of, Paul, of them not trying to extend Palmieri and keep him around he's only 30 um, you know don't go crazy with the term but team can't put the fucking puck in the net and uh, and I feel like he's sort of part of the solution there Sam Bennett, Lambert. Do we see him finally move? I mean, he wants out, right? Like, he's he's specifically said, like, or, well, his agent has told the media, like, the client wants out, and they're not playing, they're they're scratching him and, and, and benching him a lot and that kind of thing. I, I, you know, again, like, it's a it's not a good contract for any team acquiring him, and, like, you if you do get him, it's only based on the reputation of, well, look, he was a, a high draft pick from six years ago or however old he is now, right? Like, that that's the thats the thing. Like, I, I can definitely see where Calgary wants to move him, but like a Jake Vertanen, like, who's who's taking that money to for a right. guy who kind of sucks? Speaking of the money, this was a really interesting one uh, that they put on this list, only because I never really thought about it until they put him on. Dustin Brown. Dustin Brown's only got one more year after this one at 5.875. There was a time when that contract was like one of the biggest albatrosses in the league. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's actually played pretty well this year. And you could see him being that type of like late stages veteran. I mean, I, I, maybe power forward's too generous, but forward who has won cups in the past and is a captain. Two time cup captain. I mean,. Yeah, I mean, like you could see a team be wanting to maybe dabble in the in the yeah. Dustin Brown business. I, I wouldn't want it to be my stuff. team, but some no, GM yeah. out there would absolutely talk him. So, and he's having a good year this year, like you know, relative to what what you would have expected. This is it. It, it would be smart by the Kings to at least explore. And obviously, when you're talking about the only guy in the history of your franchise to lift the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, as your captain. It gets a little bit tricky. It's not just as simple as saying, "Oh yeah, we you know these picks are more valuable, and so off we go." But if he's open to it, yeah, I, I think that's a smart and team would explore that sort of move. He only has a seventeen no trade list. So he has a modicum of protection. But the other thing too is his that crazy ass contract he signed in two thousand fourteen. For those that don't remember, it was an eight year forty seven million dollar contract for Dustin fucking Brown. 
mm-hmm. he's now in the in the stage of his of his contract where his base salary is only four million for the next two seasons. See, that's um, I think that's very attractive to teams, especially if you go and you know what, L.A. Why don't you uh, cut that in half or buy yeah, buy right. a quarter or something like that? Like, why don't you retain the money? I don't think they're retaining anybody's contracts, right? Um, yeah, it says here they're not. So. Um, they could do it, and I, you know, I think they would be smart to do it if you can get absolutely, literally anything in exchange for Dustin Brown at this point. Uh, you definitely go. You know what? Like, I know you're having a good season, but have a good one. Let me put it this way, Greg: If a guy is uh, in the NHL is only two years younger than me, uh, mm-hmm. he probably shouldn't be around long term for you. <laughs> I, I know you I know you get mad when I say anybody over 30 is probably not but, a person to be betting on long term. Uh but a 36-year-old Dustin Brown is the kind of guy I'm more than comfortable saying thanks for your service. Uh we'll we'll catch you at the next alumni event. But you but Dustin Brown has spent his entire life honing his body like a fine instrument. You have not. So he's clearly in better shape than you, right? Well, you know, that's maybe true. I bet he's in slightly better shape than me. I, um, it was, it's funny when, uh, when Bobby Lashley won the WWE title the other day, I was like, damn, that's cool. I love Bobby Lashley. That guy's really cool. And then I was like, didn't I like tweet something like a joke about Bobby Lashley? I hope it's not like, uh, uh, you know, like saying I think he sucks or anything because I don't think he sucks. But uh, the joke was that I was in slightly better shape than him. So the thing about Bobby Lashley that was interesting this week, and, and, and again, I don't watch Raw every week. Uh, I I don't watch Raw know, any I, weeks. So I'm an perfect. AEW mark now in this stage of my life. Apparently, they did a bit where Miz had the title. He won it. He cashed in the Money in the Bank. He he won the title at the last pay per view. Uh, which I think was Elimination Chamber, right? That's right. Yep. And 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 so he won the belt. And then they did a bit during Raw where Lashley wanted to fight him for the title. And then like Miz would like he came up with an excuse, an injury excuse. Yeah, he did the cowardly that. heel shit. That rules. right. And and then there was a match where he like he he just like walked out of the ring and lost by countout, which is again amazing cowardly heel shit. And then finally at the end of the show, Lashley beat him for the title. And Raw evidently popped a pretty good rating uh, with that gimmick. But I, I read I read the recap. I'm like. I wish they would do more self-contained bits on these shows. Like you tune Nitro used to do that a lot uh, and do it well, where you would tune in uh, in in at the beginning of the show. They would do something and then they would just follow it through toward at the end of the show, and then that's your show. Like it's not a, something that that carries over three weeks later. Yeah, it's just that's your show, and and that's good television writing. And I appreciated uh, reading about that. And congrats to Bob, to Bobby Lashley. He rocks. And and when he won, he won like he just absolutely beat the shit out of the Miz and was like uh, yeah. the match is over. He hit his finisher and then kept beating him up and like that's that also is good writing where it's like no the reason the Miz was afraid of him was that he knew Bobby Lashley would destroy him destroy him and then Bobby yeah. Lashley destroyed him right yeah. like that's that's what makes it good uh like you know like you said like tv writing is narratively it makes sense that the miz is like oh i don't want to fight bobby lashley cuz he'll uh wreck me have you seen the size of this man like he's huge yes yeah so. he's a gentleman but but a violent one speaking of violent gentlemen oh this episode of puck soup is sponsored okay. by the violent gentleman hockey club it's solid work today it's- thank you you know, it's it's amazing what happens to your boy when he doesn't have to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to do the show on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, that's the excuse. <laughs> Speaking of cowardly heels, 
<laughs> oh, I'd have, I'd have been fine. Except, you um, know, yeah, alarm exactly. Okay. So Violent Gentlemen Hockey Club, or the VGHC, as they call themselves, is a club for fans of this sport we follow called hockey. Uh, we talked about this on the previous show. They have incredibly cool apparel. You could check out their stuff at violentgentlemen.com. Um, really cool uh, American Hockey League apparel that they partnered with them to make. Men's, women's, kids apparel. They've got hats, beanies, socks, hockey bags. Um, their stuff is really cool. You've undoubtedly seen Violent Gentlemen Hockey Club stuff if you've been around uh, the rink um, and, and seen people walking through with it. Uh, it uh, in Lake Tahoe, when I was there for the outdoor game, there was a bunch of people that had that gear on uh, to head out to the slopes and just to walk around uh, Tahoe itself. You can check out their stuff at violentgentlemen.com. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary this year, and because of that, they want to offer you 15% off your order if you enter Puck Soup, all one word, P-U-C-K-S-O-U-P, at checkout for 15% off your entire order at violentgentlemen.com. A lot of people were super excited to hear us, uh, them advertising on the show. Uh, I had a lot of people reach out to me on Twitter and be like, that's so cool. I'm a big Violent Gentleman fan and great to hear them on Puck Soup. So uh, do check out their stuff. I think if you dig the podcast, you'll, you'll dig this, the stuff they make too. Violentgentleman.com, enter Puck Soup at checkout for 15% off your order. Quick spin around the league. The Leafs are running away with the North. Is that sustainable, Sean? Uh, I mean, finishing first is probably sustainable. Playing at a 750 clip for the entire year, even if they don't have Austin Matthews or their two best goalies, is probably not. But, uh, yeah, they they should win this division. We said that at the beginning of the year. And uh, we will continue to say it now that they've got a seven-point lead almost at the halfway mark. And, and of um, course, none of it will matter until they get to the playoffs and we see what happens there because they lose in the first round. doesn't matter if they've – they could win the President's Trophy, lose in the first round, and the season is still going to be viewed as a failure. So, Yeah. The, I did a awards watch this week, and, and I didn't put sh- – I think, I think Sheldon Keefe was outside of the top three. Maybe he was one of the finalists I had. But point being is that I think he's one of these guys that should get credit – for navigating the ship as he has in that division and probably will get credit. But also, like, the, the Leafs have gotten incrementally better defensively this season for a team that mm-hmm. looked like I it think they've taken a huge step them. forward defensively. Yeah, yeah for and sure. you know what? It, that's, that is true, and it's going to sneak up on people because especially if you're not up here in Canada and following the North Division as closely, it, you talk about the Leafs in defense, everyone's going to think about the 5-1 game with the Senators, and everyone's going to be like, same old Leafs, they they get a lead, and then the, they give up the big comeback, but they're pretty good defensively, and what they did in those first two games in Edmonton, without Freddie Anderson, without Austin Matthews, shutting down McDavid, Dreisaitl, that whole Edmonton team, like, there, there, we, there were a few of us on Twitter, like, there were some references made to, like, this is kind of the happy Gilmore has learned to putt moment (laughs) like when the raptors figure out how the doorknob works and and it's kind of like oh man if this is it's game over yeah yeah if the leafs know how to play defense but you know we want to see it for more than a couple of weeks but uh it's yeah it's it's makes you make a confession can i Mm -hmm. make a confession i'm not a happy gilmore fan i recently i I watched it this week it's so funny it's so good it's it's pretty i mean it's funny i think i think it gets elevated because it's a it's a sports comedy and so few sports comedies are really really good 
Uh, I appreciate its place in pop culture. I just remember, and maybe I need to watch it again, because I just remember as a big Billy Madison fan that I wasn't crazy about Happy Gilmore. But I did like other Sandler movies, like uh, like Mr. Deeds and shit like that, and, and uh, uh, Big Daddy and shit like that. But Happy Gilmore never really did it for me, but I've always appreciated its contributions to hockey culture and sports comedy culture. And I, I thought about it recently because of the, the video that Sandler did and, and that uh, Christopher McDonald did in, 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 in response to it. And I love the fact that Shooter McGavin exists. I love the Bob Barker thing. I love the fact he wore a Bruins jersey, which just was never really – my my flick, but maybe I'm missing the boat on it. Yeah, I, like I said, I watched it this week, and I was not sure what to expect. It's on HBO Max right now, so it's easy to track down. And I was like, you know what? This, this shit still rocks, and I don't know if it rocks because, you know, I, I saw it when I was like 13 or whatever, but I was like, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. It's the again the Christopher McDonald performance should have been nominated for an Oscar. He's is that incre- he's I that fucking that. funny in that movie. He's incredible in that movie. Uh, what about you, Sean? Where do you fall on Happy Gilmore? I, I'm I'm a big fan, and also it, it's like it's not a hockey movie, but it's close enough that I I, I mean I, you could make a case that it's the funniest hockey comedy. If you're not going to count Slapshot as a as a pure comedy movie, it's it's right up there. It was it was fantastic, and you know I saw it when I was exactly in the age group that it was aimed at, uh, which certainly didn't hurt. But uh, no, it's funny. It, it, he fights Bob Barker, man. Like if you're not if you're not laughing when that's happening, I don't I don't know. Yeah, and Carl Weathers is great. I mean, He's like the whole, so I, funny I, in it. I respect oh all of it. I respect all of it. I just I guess I feel like I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm not saying I wasn't entertained. I'm not saying that it's not a movie that I wouldn't watch if it's on. I just I, I feel like it gets elevated a little bit higher than than I would elevate it as a as a sports comedy. But it's it's good. Like for example, I don't think it's I, I think Tal- Talladega Nights is better. Is that wrong to say? Yeah, I think that's crazy. And I and I like Talladega Nights, but I, I don't think it's Maybe it's just because I'm not as plugged into the uh, auto racing community. <laughs> no shit, really. <laughs> but like, I'm not a golf guy either, and I and I can watch that movie and go, you know what? Like, they they get what is like fu- inherently funny about golf, and and I don't know that I necessarily feel that they do that when it comes to uh, uh, auto racing in 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 Talladega Nights. This is this is an incredible. You're not logging on every day to see who's driving for the Penske team this year. No, in the, in the nope. NASCAR circuit. No. Okay. The Wild are fun. We agree on that. Yeah. Yeah, they were good. We talked about that in the mailbag episode, but they, all right, I want to. Yeah, this is the here. first time in forever that it's like, like we said in. in in the mailbag, like you're sitting down at night, like where's the Minnesota Wild game? I want to watch that. That's <laughs> never been said before, but it is now. And you know, we talked about whether we thought they were actually for real or not, but they're fun right now, no mm-hmm. doubt. Yeah. Uh, is there is there a world where uh, Kaprizov doesn't win the Calder? Yeah, it's one where he gets hurt, right? Like that's. The, the the I guess the other the other way it it happens is if Lankinen keeps it up and Chicago somehow makes the playoffs. Yeah, if Chicago makes the playoffs, I, I have a feeling that be, it'd be really hard not to give the kid the Calder. And the kid by that, I mean he's fucking twenty five. Yeah. Uh, but I mean he he took what was supposed to be the worst goaltending tandem 
in the league and made it good. But then again, you look at like, like Subban's played six games. He's got a fucking nine sixteen save percentage, which is well better than I thought Malcolm Subban could do for that team. Sure. So it's uh it's been interesting in Chicago. But I, but I I mean I think the the Calder typically goes to to the forward that leads in goals, the forward that leads in points, but mostly the forward that hit the highlight reel the most. You know. And, and I feel like that's obviously going to be pretty yeah, this year. like he he's such an exciting player to watch. Like uh, you know, it was only at four on four, and they'd been out for a while. But that that clip of him skating against, like literally skating circles around the Makar pairing, yeah, from from last week is like one of the most entertaining uh, things in the history of the Minnesota Wild. They didn't even score on that play, but it's just like. Yeah, they they you know they had Marion Gabrick for a little while, and he could kind of play this kind of hockey. But otherwise, like, when's the last yeah. time you saw Minnesota play anything ex- approaching that level of excitement? I don't think right. it he ever could play, happened. He could play that kind of hockey when he was allowed to. If it was the thing. Yeah. Um, are the Penguins a playoff team? It's <sighs> a good question. Well, first off, Sid Sid's got to get over the get, get off the COVID list. Yeah, that was a big surprise this week. Yeah, not a very good one. They're a playoff caliber team, I think, but that might not be enough in the East. Is yeah, that's is the, the thing, right? Thing. Is is we, you know, I feel like everybody kind of talked about it at least a little bit, um, or you know, early in the season. But like everybody was like, "Oh, that's there's a lot of there's a lot of good teams in that division. Everybody's going to be a tough out." And like, I don't know that any, everybody is really good in that division, or if they're just kind of all equally a little bit good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. You know, Boston's slowing down a little bit, and maybe those problems that we said, like, let's put it this way. They're claiming Jared Tenorti off waivers to tighten up the defense. <laughs> like, that's not a great sign. Um, but I think the Capitals are good in three-game stretches, and that, that'll be enough to get them into the playoffs. Yeah, like, They can I put think, together three great games uh, once every, like, nine days. I think that's putting it well, is that they're, you know, they're, they're a team that for the last few years has had a lot of problems. But also always enough talent to power out of it, and maybe they have that again, but also maybe not, right? Like, let's put it this way. Um, The highest uh, goal difference in that division is Boston's, and in any other division, I think it would be like the fourth, third or fourth highest. Right. So, you know, do, do I think they're all... They're all good. Yeah, like a team that is playoff caliber is 100% going to miss the playoffs in that division. And I don't know if you – like in any normal season is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, you mean the Devils. But mm. – no, you don't. Oh, okay. The no. Flyers, Islanders – it's going to be one of the Flyers, Islanders, and Penguins. I think Boston and, and the Capitals are playoff teams. Yeah, I think that's I, right. I think, I, I think, I think Flyers – one of those teams is going to miss. And, uh, you know, for entertainment's sake, I hope it's the Islanders. Uh, but probably won't be because they just know They're how the to, Islanders, yeah. Yeah, scratch and claw and, and inch their way into the playoff picture. Uh, before we get to a um, overrated, underrated this week, Ryan. Yo. I think I – think, did you mention this or did Sean mention this? The stars should be diving a lot more. Yeah, so theory. like I was watching the, uh, the, the Leafs – uh, Oilers game the other night, and, and all these Leafs fans were like, "Oh, McDavid took a dive, and he and he didn't get the call, and then he took a frustration penalty." And like that's objectively funny that that happened, but but also like star you know star players in this league don't get protected, and star players should dive because otherwise they're literally never going to get a fucking call. 
And this was unpopular? Yeah, because, you know, people don't like the idea of diving, right? Like, right, even though it's a tactic. Yeah, It's not even that it's necessarily a tactic. It's just, like, people don't like the idea that uh, you're not, like, staying on your skates 100 per- – or you're not shaking your hand like you got slashed really hard when someone maybe only tapped you a little bit or whatever. Like, people don't like the idea of embellishment. That's why there's a fine for it, Right. But, like, it's something that star players literally have to do in this league or they just don't get calls. I remember I wrote about this a few years ago and I just looked up, like, the number of penalties drawn per 60 for every player in the league. And all the guys who draw a ton of penalties are, like, third and fourth liners. And, like, I don't remember the number now, but, like, Connor McDavid was something like 138th in the league over his entire career um, wow. in, in penalty Penalties drawn per 60, and it's like, even if you don't think that, um, you know, Connor McDavid's skill set 100% should result in more penalties than it does, he shouldn't be 130th or whatever the number was in penalties drawn per 60. Like, that that's a crazy right. number. So. You, you asked about other unpopular hockey opinions we might have, which of course is edging very close to being a mailbag question that we summarily ignore. But I do have one that I wanted to put on, on the table here, and you tell me if you like it or not. Because honestly, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea. One of the planks of my platform has always been that we should go back to two-minute majors. I agree. Uh, totally course, agree. We, we, had, we had back in the day, they got rid of it because Montreal used to score like 800 goals in those two minutes because they had guys named like Rocket – uh, I the two minute major for me has always been a thing where I feel like it's going to cut down on on uh, penalties, and uh, is going to reward skill. And from a gambling perspective, is going to make every game nine to seven, which is going to be very exciting. So you like it, Sean? What do you think about two minute majors? Here's here's my problem with it. Ryan, in his otherwise awful opinion about encouraging diving, <laughs> did did say something true, which was that the, the, the refs just aren't calling enough penalties, especially against the elite players. But the reason the refs aren't doing that is because they're always, quote-unquote, managing the game, and they're always keeping track in their heads. Okay, I've got a call two against this team. The next one's got to be against that team. Oh, it's the third period. Is the game close? Yeah, it's close. We're going to let stuff go. We're going to let the players play. Um, if If you think referees are reluctant to call a penalty in the third period of a close game now when that could lead to one goal, wait until we see a few power plays that lead to two or three goals. Uh, it's a fair point. The, yep. the, 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 remember the amount of freakout that we had over the Knights uh, Sharks Game 7 where there were four goals scored on a major? And, I mean, we started reviewing penalties, something we said we were never, ever going to do, and that all changed based on one power play where, I mean, the Knights could have just killed the power play that's that's what a lot of teams do they gave up four goals and everybody freaks out what's going to happen the first time that some team is up two to one there's five minutes left a referee calls an obvious penalty and the other team scores two goals and wins the game and everybody loses their minds it's one of the many things where i go in theory love the idea in reality do not trust the league to enforce it so i'm not i'm not against the idea i just i think it would backfire that's low key, by the way. One of my top five games I ever got to attend. I, I never oh, mentioned yeah. it in the, like, the pantheon wild. of having been to the Olympics and shit, but like covering that game was absolutely yeah. fucking bonkers. Uh, Sean, you got one you want to put on the table? 
I mean, the problem that I have is I have all these strong opinions and they always start off unpopular, but then I make the case and people realize that I'm right and they, they shift over. I would say probably my, I mean, my least popular opinions are number one, that I think we should make the nets bigger, that there's a certain segment of the fan base that just will never, ever, ever accept that. And they get viscerally mad when you suggest it. I think my other one is probably that Goalie interference is fine. Uh, most of the people, and especially in the media, who complain about not understanding it have just never bothered to read the rule and try to figure it out. It's, it's, it's not simple, but I don't think it's that complicated. I think if you know the rule, you can figure out 90% of the calls before they happen. And I think if you're going to change anything about goalie interference, we should just ditch the review altogether. It's a subjective call, like... Many other calls in the league, we got referees who are there to look at it, let them make the call, and just move on and stop doing reviews and telling the fans we're going to just get it right when very often the review doesn't make it any clearer what the right call should be. Uh, But other than that, I think goalie interference is fine, and I really, really, really don't want to go back to some of the stupid stuff we've done in the past that people occasionally suggest whenever some call goes against their favorite team and they suddenly think the whole system needs to be redone. By the way, I found my old article. Uh, uh, whatever season that, so this is the seventeen eighteen uh, nineteen season. Uh, McDavid was drawing when I wrote it uh, in mid December. McDavid was drawing fewer penalties per uh, per sixty at five on five than Dylan Hetherington, Freddie Gaudreau, Tony D'Angelo, and William Carrier. A hundred and twentieth in in penalties drawn per sixty. The, the number one thing that we got around penalties is this league, we, and I'm kind of, I'm saying we in terms of fans and all of us, but specifically the media, we got to stop talking about penalties like they're supposed to be even. You know, like if, if a team goes out there and there's five penalties and they all go against one team, that team after the game shouldn't be like, well, we had to kill five penalties. We didn't get any power plays. They should be like, oh, we played crappy tonight. We were constantly we committed a lot of penalties. Yes, fouling because we were a step behind. And they don't do that in the NFL. Like in the NFL, they'll show during the game, like you know, this team's got one, yeah, one team was completely undisciplined. Yeah, and the other team 120 yeah. yards of penalties, and the other team hasn't taken any. And nobody goes, wow, the refs are really biased. Or they're not managing the game. They go, oh, that team is being sloppy, and they're it's costing them. And I wish we all talked about penalties like that because that would get you more calls on Connor McDavid. It would get you more calls. It would open up the game at five on five because you wouldn't be sitting there going, ah, you know, should I hook this guy? Hey, we took the last three penalties. We know we're not getting the next one. So, you know, that I, I wish that would happen. It's good stuff. Oh, and all of our, uh, our thoughts were uh, uh, around penalties, which was interesting too. All right, real quick, because uh, we've got to get out of here. Uh, let's do a quick overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. Uh, Coming to America comes out this week. Uh, the sequel to Coming to America, the PG-13 sequel, so don't get your hopes up. Uh, somebody wanted us to do Eddie Murphy movies, um, and we can probably roll through those real quick. Overrated uh, Eddie Murphy movie, Ryan Lambert. Uh, Coming to America. <laughs> wow, right out of the gate, huh? Yeah. Yikes. Hmm. Um, why would you, you say go, that? You go, Greg. I'm, I'm, I'm I, scanning my list here. It's because I think it's overrated. I think it's it's fine. <laughs> I mean that's a, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 great, but that's fine. Um, overrated for me, Forty Eight Hours. I feel like uh, it was of its time, and I feel like it was notable for the scene where Eddie goes into the country bar 
um, just because of how shocking and, and wonderful and new that scene was and, and the whole sort of like dynamic with him and McNulty. But I, I revisited it a few years ago. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about it. I think there are so many other better Eddie Murphy performances than Forty Eight Hours. So while it's a good movie, I, I, I think it's it's been overrated. I I really hate to say it. I think I think I might be with Ryan on this one. Swish. I, I like Coming to America as a kid, but again, like that was I was right in that age group. And, oh, this is this is so. And then I I watched it again, not all that recently, but. It, some point many years later and I, I didn't feel like it held up underrated there's only one answer i mean i'm sure we're all gonna say it if you've seen the movie the adventures of pluto nash no how um, dare you it's obviously bowfinger like bowfinger, yeah, bowfinger is rocks comedy classic very funny uh, for those who haven't seen it it's it's eddie murphy playing two roles he plays a major action star who i think is kind of centered on not only himself but also tom cruise a little bit because he's mixed up in this like scientology bit um, and then he also plays uh, a character, I won't give away the spoiler, but a character who looks exactly like that character. It's a Dave situation, and, a classic Dave. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, Steve Martin is a low-budget uh, filmmaker who tries to film a movie around the Eddie Murphy star character without the Eddie Murphy star character knowing that he's in a movie. Because the movie needs a star in order for it to happen. It's fucking brilliant. It's a great Hollywood satire and and everybody is is great in the movie, including uh, Heather Graham, Heather Graham, and yeah. uh, Christine Bransky, Christine Bransky too. Is that your underrated Sean, or do you have a different one? No, I'll go with that one. That, okay, that, that works. Favorite is tough. Favorite is tougher than I expected. I don't think I so. Expected. It's trading places, right? Like, well, no, because I'm a huge Beverly Hills Cop fan. Yeah, sure. Um, and I know that parts of that movie haven't aged well. But speaking of <laughs> trading places. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, that too. I, I, it's a, it's a really tough call for me. Um, I think for me, I, I would have to go Beverly Hills Cop. I just, I, I that movie was just like a, a moment in time, uh, and just it, it changed ever, so many things. Uh, you know, started its own, you know, series of sequels. One good, one unfortunate. Uh, and and uh, was one of the a great action movie too. I, I would go Beverly Hills Cop over over Trading Places, even though I acknowledge the undeniable greatness of Trading Places as a as a upper echelon elite comedy. Certainly, Aykroyd's finest as well. I think. I, I may draw Doctor Detroit. <laughs> I may draw a flag on this, but uh, I'm I'm going with uh, I'm going with Raw. It it. Was released in theaters, nope, so I'm counting. As a speaking, movie. speaking of not and aging well, <laughs> definitely not. But uh, one of the all-time that and delirious uh, all-time legendary yeah, stand-up stand-up comedy uh, uh, most influential specials ever. Um, yeah, even though it may or may not, you know, don't watch it with the kids uh, <laughs> or anyone else. <laughs> Maybe, but, yeah. Least favorite for me, obviously, is the uh, party all the time video. Uh, that no, least favorite for me. You know, it's funny. I, I, there's a lot of horrible Eddie Murphy movies, just like terribly not funny. Oh yeah, ill-conceived. What are you thinking? Congratulations on the paycheck, uh, Eddie Murphy movies, without question. I'm between two for my Ferns? least favorite. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the first is uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, 
that was a, just that was going to be mine. Yeah, absolutely horrible movie. And that's him at like um, the height of his powers. Coming well, no, yeah. I guess that's not true because he's coming it's off Hell's Hills the, Cop three, not two, right? Yeah, it wasn't the height of his powers, but he wrote he wrote, co-wrote the movie and fucking Wes Craven directed it. Yeah, it's of, a uh, it's a like, uh, blank check movie for sure. Yeah. He, but then he comes back right after that with The Nutty Professor. So, like, people forget about what a disaster that was. But I'll go with the one that preceded it and started this uh, this this mini slump. Beverly Hills Cop 3 is an abomination. Can't say I've ever seen it, yeah. Um, oh, no. it, it is. I found out today somebody mentioned uh, to me that it was actually filmed at the Great America theme park in San Jose, which I never got a chance to go to while I was living there because of COVID and also because, you know, Disneyland's a short drive away. Uh, but uh, it is it is a is a, a PG thirteen Eddie Murphy uh, Beverly Hills Cop movie. I mean, I think it's PG thirteen. If, if if it's not, then they didn't push the R. Oh no no, it is rated R. Oh my god, it, it didn't even it shouldn't have been. It was it was benign. But it's everybody going through the motions. It's a terrible movie, um, and uh, it takes place at a theme park. He's trying to bust a counterfeit ring. It's just terrible. It's just lifeless and and bad and. And if I could erase it from existence, I, I would do so. Sean, uh, I'll I'll go. Adventures of Pluto Nash. It's a bad movie. Yeah, of course did, it is. Uh, did just very bad. Yeah, there's a Man. lot of Eddie Murphy movies that could be tied. Let's say for Dead Last. <laughs> let's put it that way. Adventures of Pluto Nash came out in 2002. Okay. Sounds about right. So after you get past uh, Shrek, which was like uh, another high water moment for 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 Eddie, Doctor Doolittle two, Showtime, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, I Spy, Daddy Daycare, The Haunted Mansion, and in the middle of, of these were like Shrek movies. My favorite Eddie Murphy uh, release movie release thing though, without question, was. He's in Dreamgirls, and everybody's like, oh, my God, he's going to win an Oscar. He's, he's going to be best supporting actor for Dreamgirls. And then Norbit comes out. And everybody's like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. And, nope. and, and it, it came out during the Oscar voting, and there is a popular theory that Norbit killed Eddie Murphy's Oscar chances, um, which is just tremendous. Not anyway, unreasonable. That's Puck Soup for this week. Uh, thanks for the to the boys for handling the mailbag as I was uh, tied up with some scheduling stuff during this uh, cross-country move. Thanks to the good people of Lincoln, Nebraska, and Moab, Utah for being so accommodating during our trip. Um, you could read me at ESPN. My column this week is about the effects that the revamped schedule is having on uh, on games and stuff. It's a really interesting look at it. And then uh, Coach's Hot Seat stuff on Friday. Um, so check out all that uh, stuff there. Uh, what about you, Ron? Uh, yeah, check out Elite Prospects Rinkside. We're doing all kinds of good stuff. I mentioned earlier um, that uh, I wrote about how Chicago is really only good against bad teams. And when they play good teams, they get obliterated, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But, you know, 
people are talking about uh, Patrick Kane for MVP. So, um, and then yeah, we, there's other good stuff about uh, Dylan Holloway for for Edmonton. Just scrolling down here, uh, Thatcher Demko. Uh, why why the Sabers are so bad this year? And like these are all deep dives and stuff like that. So. Uh, of, of interest to many hockey fans, I would think, and uh, definitely all worth checking out. It's me, it's Dmitry Filipovich, it's Jabe Fresh, it's Rachel Dory, it's uh, Marin Angus. You can go down the list. A lot, a lot of talented writers. I don't want to leave anybody out, but I'm sure I have, so I apologize. Uh, you find me on The Athletic. Uh, this week I had a piece where I ranked every single midseason coaching change of the cap era from worst to best. And uh, later at the end of this week, I don't know if it's Thursday or Friday, but I've got a piece that was suggested by a Puck Soup uh, listener months ago, I think. Uh, but I finally got around to it, which was, uh, could the 2016 World Cup Team North America beat a team today made up of everybody else? So McDavid, Matthews, Love McKinnon it. versus everybody else who you got. Uh, and you can uh, see that uh, later this week. That rocks. I dig it. Real quick, uh, hilarious that the Canadians fired their goalie coach during the game last night. During um, the game. Yeah. Oof. Artem Zub I mean, shot too good. They had to get him out of there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Carey Price, good luck with all that. And also, very awesome that uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is going to write a Superman movie. We didn't mention that either. Um there, uh, there's an endless number of possibilities that you could do with a Superman movie that haven't been explored. Here's one that they should avoid: uh, don't kill him or make him evil. How about that for a change? Okay, what have they done anything about uh, his mom's name? Because I feel like <laughs> that's a really interesting avenue. My best friend uh, Andy Stanger uh, has already. I, he's very excited about moving back east. He's already booked me uh, for a, a date to uh, drink beer and get a pizza and watch all four hours of the Snyder Cut together. So, very excited for that. Hope you get your shots first. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ryan, we live in a society. Mm. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to Puck Soup. Uh, check out the Patreon. Many good things there happening all the time, including bonus episodes and all that stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. See you. Bye-bye. Sticks and hits and goals and saves and slap shots and goons. We've got sportly commentary to an affair commute. But we also cover movies, TV shows, hits and tunes. It's your weekly bowl of hockey and nonsense. Box <sighs> soup.